Have you ever heard of virtual influencers? It's a new trend that lets companies create a marketing figure while avoiding the risks of representation by a real person. In recent years, several successful virtual influencers have carved out a niche in retail. Now, an auto manufacturer has stepped into the game with a new Spurks person who's all pixel. Zora, 26, likes spontaneous trips and working out. An auto manufacturer has harnessed the power of artificial intelligence to create this virtual influencer in a bid to appeal to younger people. The gimmick has sparked debate among social media users. One said they're jealous of her figure, while another that she looks like a long-vanished girlfriend. <laughs> this is the first South Korean virtual influencer, Rosie. With her perfect makeup and exceptional figure, she's won 140,000 followers and can be seen in music videos, magazine photo shoots, and commercials. Last year, she earned 23 million NT. It's chosen by a robot. And this is Lo Michaela, a virtual influencer from the U.S. She regularly shares fashion tips and was named one of the most influential internet personalities by Time magazine. Perhaps the high-spending internet-native generation feels at home with virtual figures like these. Companies around the world are turning to virtual spokespeople. It may not be that important for, as we say, the target audience that the influencer is virtual. The main thing is that real celebrities might have some news stories come out later or some other problems and that will create other problems. But essentially, a virtual celebrity will never have such problems occur. With figures like this, the style and look of the character can be constantly adjusted, giving companies infinite flexibility in how to present their message. It makes for a safe marketing tool with the sheen of an influencer's personality, but none of the sharp edges of a real person. Immigrants from all over the world come to Taiwan where they find work, start families and contribute to making the island so special. In today's installment of An Immigrant Story, we meet Thomas Fogan, an award-winning film score composer and pianist from Belgium. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang sat down with Fogan to find out more about his work. His fingers fly across the piano keyboard. This is award-winning composer Thomas Fogen. Fogen came to Taiwan 12 years ago, and since then, he has created over 80 music pieces for documentaries, features, dance performances, theater plays, commercials, and more. So I came uh, in Taiwan for the first time 12 years ago uh, to visit friends. I was on holiday, but I loved it. So I came one more time and then uh, again. And one thing leading to another, I started to study Chinese here, uh, started to work, I got married. And, uh, but something that inspired me, has always inspired me, is uh, stories, uh, telling stories. So that's why I got interested in uh, film music 
and that's something I got to develop uh, here in Taiwan. He won Best Sound in Music at the Golden Bell Award for The Cat in the Closet in 2016 and for The Thorn in 2018. He said much of his inspirations came from different music, films, and personal experiences that he encounters. Composer and film music composer are very two very different jobs. Um, as a film music composer, you are a filmmaker. You are taking part in, of the making of a film, uh, in the making of a film. So for that, you have to consider yourself as a filmmaker, so to watch films, to understand films, uh, not just doing your music on the side. So that would be my, my, my main advice. Based in Europe and Taiwan, Vogan graduated from the Royal Academy of Music of Mons, where he studied orchestra conducting, electroacoustic music, contemporary music composition, piano, chamber music, and harmony and music theory. Vogan is also a teacher in both Taiwan and Belgium. With his extensive experience in the music industry, he says he hopes to continue to share his knowledge with students in both Taiwan and Belgium. Teaching is a job when you learn as much as you teach, and that's something So I get a lot out of. Because you, you spend time with uh, young people, and uh, you see their struggle or you see their talents. Um, and of course, you have um, a lot of chances also for you to um, prepare a class and to learn a lot of things out of that. So I, I, I love it. In August 2022, Vogan was granted citizenship by Taiwan's Ministry of Interior. Vogan says he strives to continue producing music and giving back to his two homes, Belgium and Taiwan. FTV reporters Stephanie Yang and Zhang Tingxiang in Taipei. Renowned modern dance group Cloudgate Theatre has announced its first international tour since the pandemic suspended their travels. The troupe will be in the U.S. for five weeks starting October, performing one of its most renowned works, 13 Tongues. It marks the resumption of cultural exchanges between Taiwan and the U.S. after COVID. Let's hear from the group's artistic director. The last time we went on tour, COVID was on our tracks. We were also performing 13 tons around Europe. We ended up returning to Taiwan after Stockholm. We didn't realize we would have to wait almost two years or more for our next performance, more than 1,000 days. This time, our team has made all the relevant preparations before we set off for the U.S. Over the past two years, we've all been practicing at home. I think the Cloudgate Dance Theatre has continued moving forward. We are on top of things, and we want to put on a good show in the six cities. The work, which debuted in 2016, was inspired by a legendary street artist and storyteller in Taipei's Banga area in the 1960s, who went by the name 1913 Tongues. The Times has referred to the performance as a sensationally big, indulging and arresting expression of cultural memory. Cloudgate Dance Theatre will be visiting six cities in the tour. Washington, D.C., Chicago, Houston, Stanford, Berkeley, and Costa Mesa. Every year on September 21st, Taiwan remembers the victims of the 1999 GG earthquake, which killed more than 2,400 people. The date is now marked as National Disaster Prevention Day, a day to raise awareness about what to do in the event of an earthquake. On Wednesday morning, mobile phones around Taiwan rang with a mock text alert warning of an earthquake and tsunami. 
It was part of a drill by the central government to better prepare the public for emergencies. Drills were held at many schools nationwide, both for earthquakes and air raids. The National Fire Agency reminds the public that in an earthquake, it is best to not rush outdoors. Instead, there are three steps to follow to stay safe. Drop, cover, and hold on. That is, find a sturdy surface to go under, cover your head and neck, and hold on to your covering until the earthquake ends. Since the beginning of the year, the Education Ministry has funneled 11.7 billion NT to provide tablets and fast internet connection to every public school classroom. Today we visit two schools, one in Shinju and the other in New Taipei, to see how digital technology is put into action. 好,同學,我們現在要出發到校園裡面去拍3D動物照片,記得把英文造句一並上傳到Padlet上面去哦。Tablet and hands. Students at Shinju's Guanghua Junior High School take the lesson outdoors. They're on their way to complete the mission set by their English teacher, Wang Jinghong. I really like learning at school with tablets because they improve our concentration and make classes more interesting, unlike more traditional lessons where there's only a textbook which is slightly duller. To digitalize the classroom, the Ministry of Education is handing out up to 900 million NT in subsidies for schools to procure more than 700 units of digital learning content and software to construct and upgrade the digital learning ecosystem system in public schools. About four to five years ago, kids started using tablets in the classroom while teachers began lecturing on smartboards. Therefore, since digital learning technologies were being introduced to the classroom, the learning site has been transposed from the classroom to the wider campus. That way, students would learn in a more continuous manner instead of only learning during English lessons scheduled three times a week. Up north in New Taipei, students at Yongping High School access the day's lesson with laptops. This learning method had long become routine here. Personally, I really like where this new educational trend is going, where we utilize technology to make classes more exciting. And because technological tools are constantly keeping up with the times, we can improve upon existing lessons every year. For example, this year we can do maps, and next year we'll integrate virtual reality into lessons. We can always update lessons. Between 2022 and 2025, the Education Ministry will allocate up to 20 billion NT in total to set up internet connection in every classroom and make sure every student has access to a tablet. For now, the Ministry is working on upgrading digital hardware and software in primary and secondary schools to construct a better digital learning environment. Every year on September 21st, Taiwan remembers the victims of the 1999 GG earthquake, which killed more than 2,400 people. The date is now marked as National Disaster Prevention Day, a day to raise awareness about what to do in the event of an earthquake. On Wednesday morning, mobile phones around Taiwan rang with a mock text alert warning of an earthquake and tsunami. It was part of a drill by the central government to better prepare the public for emergencies. Drills were held at many schools nationwide, both for earthquakes and air raids. The National Fire Agency reminds the public that in an earthquake, it is best to not rush outdoors. Instead, there are three steps to follow to stay safe. Drop, cover, and hold on. That is, 
find a sturdy surface to go under, cover your head and neck, and hold on to your covering until the earthquake ends. A sculpture depicting a battalion of marines storming a beach has been unveiled at Zoying Naval Base in Kaohsiung. The public artwork was made from a copper by veteran sculptor Fang Huiguang. He says he wanted the piece to reflect the glory and the shocking effects of such a battle. The sculpture was commissioned by military officials to celebrate 75 years of Taiwan's Marine Corps. A battalion of Marines in determined poses. Leaning slightly forward, they are ready to spring forward in an instant. Each figure has a clear role. When the Marines advance, it's professional knowledge which type of soldier will take up which position. Where does the mortar go? Where do the artillerymen go? So once I had confirmed those things, I could start making my artistic plans. The work has a rather flowery name, the key to victory. Fang Huiguang was commissioned by the armed forces to create a copper sculpture for this spot. It's taken more than two years since he first began to envision the piece to its unveiling. These nine copper figures were smelted at temperatures over 1,000 degrees. Now they sit near Zoying Naval Base on a street corner, a site of contact between the military and local civilians. I think that the moment when a marine unit seizes a beachhead is the most stunning. In that moment, no matter what their training is or how patriotic, or what moral fortitude, courage or abilities they have, it's a totally shocking scene. In the sunshine, the copper reflects that shocking moment even more vividly. Fang wanted his work to express the glory of a scene of soldiers charging past enemy lines to protect their home and country. Also, at the Marine History Museum next door, they tell the history of the Marines so that people can get closer to the military in their daily lives and understand soldiers and battalions, the responsibility they have to fight tirelessly for our country and our society. This year is the 75th anniversary of the creation of Taiwan's Marine Corps. If you want to learn more about this vital link between Army and Navy and find out more about Taiwan's military history, Zhuoying has plenty for Army buffs to see and do. Political mementos are a part of modern elections, and in 2022, the campaign mask is a big trend. More and more candidates are giving out face masks at campaign events, whereas in the past they often gave voters tissue paper. We took a trip to a mask manufacturer that is happy to be booked up with orders from local politicians. Face masks roll off a production line. A political candidate's card is placed on each one before they are packaged. Then a sticker is added by hand, and these campaign mementos are ready to leave the busy factory. <laughs> The mask factory is working flat out, with 18 machines working at full speed, all in an effort to get these campaign materials out as fast as possible. As electioneering ramps up, candidates are giving out all kinds of flyers and leaflets at events. Many printers are totally booked up with orders. There's so much demand. This production line is expected to be running 13 hours a day from now until November, producing 300,000 masks a day. In the past, it was always packs of tissues that were campaign promotional products. Now, because mass production costs are low and you can package them individually, it's changed a lot. We used to place the candidate's car behind the pack of tissues. We don't do that now. You can print it on the whole mask. 
You can also put a card in with a mask. Some masks come with a card, while others have a name or a slogan printed directly on. The production cost of face masks used to be much higher. Following advances in technology and the greater protection afforded by new materials, custom masks are a more attractive freebie. They're cheaper too. In reality, our production costs are only three to four NT per gram. So accordingly, we use them in our masks and toiletries, for example. So that's why our final price is affordable for the general public. Before the pandemic, there were about 44 mask manufacturers in Taiwan. After demand exploded and the National Mask Squad was formed, manufacturers multiplied until there were almost 700. Many shut down afterward and now there are about 200 manufacturers. Luckily, at election time, there's a fresh spike in demand for election souvenirs. A Taiwanese delegation for agricultural products has signed a memorandum of purchase agreement with the U.S. state of Iowa. The agreement, worth 2.6 billion U.S. dollars or 82.3 billion NT, was inked on September 20th, U.S. time. In the agreement, Taiwan has committed to purchasing 2.61 to 2.94 million tons of soybeans from Iowa, as well as 1.5 million tons of corn between 2023 and 2024. Let's hear from officials of the state. Beginning the key to Iowa and Taiwan's bilateral relationship has been to identify and encourage areas of collaboration. For us, exports are going to play and should play and can continue to play a significant role in profitability. So we need markets for products. And those markets can be international, they can be domestic, and they can be local. The first signing Taiwan is Iowa's 12th largest trading partner, importing goods worth a total of approximately 305 million U.S. dollars from the state. In the first half of 2022, exports from Iowa to Taiwan grew by 4% compared to the total the year before, showing ever closer trade relations between the two sides. The U.S. 7th Fleet announced last night that it had conducted another routine transit of the Taiwan Strait. This time around, it was the destroyer USS Higgins that sailed across the strait with the Royal Canadian Navy's HMCS Vancouver. In a statement, the 7th Fleet stated that the transit demonstrated the commitment of the U.S. and its allies to a free and open Indo-Pacific. The transit comes just days after U.S. President Joe Biden said in an interview that the U.S. would come to Taiwan's defense in the event of a Chinese attack. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. Yes. In an exclusive interview on CBS 60 Minutes, U.S. President Joe Biden said the U.S. would defend Taiwan in the Chinese invasion. After the comments, the White House came out to reiterate that its stance on Taiwan remained unchanged. It is the fourth time that Biden says in public that the U.S. will come to Taiwan's defense in the Chinese attack. He was asked a very similar question back in Tokyo in May. He gave a similar answer in Tokyo in May that he gave in the 60 Minutes interview. We continue to stand behind the One China policy. We continue to stand against unilateral changes to the status quo, and we continue to stand for peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. The president has reiterated those basic commitments uh, on every occasion that he's talked about Taiwan, including in this interview. 
And the U.S. is not just showing support for Taiwan with words. The U.S. 7th Fleet on Tuesday night confirmed that the USS Higgins and the Royal Canadian Navy's HMCS Vancouver had conducted a routine Taiwan Straits transit earlier in the day. It added that the transit demonstrated the commitment of the U.S. and its allies and partners to a free and open Indo-Pacific. The status quo, which is the current situation in the area, should not be challenged, neither by China nor by anyone else. The French foreign minister spoke for Taiwan in New York, where the United Nations General Assembly is underway. And more support has come from other foreign dignitaries. After a bilateral meeting on Tuesday, UK Prime Minister Liz Truss and Japanese Prime Minister Kishida Fumio released a joint statement condemning China's recent provocations over Taiwan. In recent days, more and more countries have spoken up against China while standing up for Taiwan. So far, three of Taiwan's diplomatic allies have spoken up for Taiwan at this year's United Nations General Assembly. They are Paraguay, the Marshall Islands and Guatemala, all of whom advocated for Taiwan's inclusion in the UN system. In addition to calling for Taiwan's admission as a full member, Guatemala's president went as far as calling for Taiwan to be recognized as a nation. More allies are expected to speak up for Taiwan in the coming days. The general debate of the 77th session of the United Nations General Assembly has opened in person for the first time since COVID. Three of Taiwan's diplomatic allies voiced support for Taiwan on day one of the debate. My country underscores our support for the request of the Republic of China, Taiwan, to be a full member of the United Nations system. We are convinced of the valuable contribution that its participation would make to the multilateral system. The president of Paraguay voiced support for Taiwan to join the UN system and took the opportunity to express his solidarity with the Taiwanese people after Sunday's earthquake in Taidong. In the afternoon session, the president of the Marshall Islands devoted two and a half minutes to protest Taiwan's unfair treatment. We call on the UN to better welcome Taiwan and its people into our global family. How long will the UN persist in closing its doors and thereby denying access to the people of Taiwan? And the United Nations circle of unity will remain incomplete without Taiwan and its people. The president of Guatemala did not name names, but heavily implied that China was preventing Taiwan from joining the UN and being recognized as a nation. Within these reforms, ensure the right of Taiwan to belong to this organization and also recognize it as a nation because it has been denied this right by one of the permanent members of the Security Council. Of the four Taiwan allies speaking on day one, only Honduras did not make any mention of Taiwan. The country is led by Xiomara Castro, whose term began in January this year, after an electoral campaign advocating for cutting ties with Taiwan. It marks the seventh year in a row that Honduras does not mention Taiwan in the general debate.